G'day guys, it's still Friday. Um, what is it? Quarter to three. And uh, this is podcast number four, and with me is David Brown from Shooters Union. Shooters Union Australia, thank Shooters you. Shooters in Australia. Told this young fella. Okay, so tell us about Shooters Union Australia. Okay, so about 20 years ago, or almost 20 years ago, uh, Jan Lindsley, who was quite well known, uh, particularly in international shooting and Commonwealth Games kind of level shooting, um, and is a firearms dealer and uh, husband's a um, gunsmith and armour. Okay. Very well known in the sort of rural, regional Queensland uh, area. Her and Graham Park and a bunch of others were like sitting around the campfire, so to speak, you know, post 96 and... Oh, yeah. Probably I could imagine that everyone was a, having would, a whinge, right? That would have been a, a pretty sombre campfire. Yeah, it would have been. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they realised that costs and things were ballooning and there's a lot of people that weren't happy with the legislative mm. or a lack of action in the legislative area and pushing back against you know restriction and what have you. So Shooters Union was formed on that basis and some people think we're like a trade union, we're not obviously, union meaning a congregation of like-minded oh, okay. people. I, I'm, there you go. I would never have associated those. That there you go. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> so that's what, like, the founding uh, thing was. So, Shooters Union as an organisation, we're really terrible at glossy magazines and running ranges, right? Mm -hmm. We don't have any. And there's other organisations that are good at doing that stuff. You know, the ADAs and WSLOs, etc. However. When it comes to sometimes battling and confronting with government um, and government departments like police or any other yep. department, you know, whether it's DPIs or whether it's you know to do with ammunition or whatever, if you're the recipient of state or federal funding, you're sort of biting the hand that feeds you a little. So we do not. We just sort of have an unwritten policy that no funding from government. And yes, we will keep you accountable. So that's the model that we operate on um, in terms of government and advocacy for the shoot. And when I say shooters, I'm talking anyone involved in firearms. Doesn't matter if you're a security guard, a farmer, oh, okay. a hunter, um, a police officer, collector, um, target shooter. We don't care if you're involved in the industry. We at some point will be representing your group's interests um, in, in front of government and and or the weapons licensing of your state. Okay, I, I'm, I'm thinking um, one of the more, and it might not be recent, but one of the ones that I can remember is when during COVID there was a issue about getting access to gun stores and you know you can't go to a gun shop because of blah, blah, blah. And so that immediately meant, well, you can't get ammo and you can't get parts. And of course, the, the issues that creates for people. And I remember Shooters Union was pretty heavily yes, involved so in advocating to uh, yeah, do something about that silliness. That's an interesting story because I can think of two facets of it. One was also, as you and most people would understand, Cat H or handgun shooters have mandatory mm. attendance. And 
weapons licensing, I mean, we have a very good relationship in there. Sometimes they don't like us much, but, you know, we, we take the stick a little. But at the same time, we've got a very good working relationship in there. And I actually sat on the phone um, with the head of weapons licensing explaining, you know, my wife hates going to the range. We do IPSC shooting, hates doing that in the middle of summer at Ipswich. And Daniel actually said to me, he says, yeah, when I have to do my recalls, I, I book them up for the middle of the year when it's a far more pleasant experience. And I said, well, you know, look at it this way. I think we need to water down the participation requirements. And anyway, he and I actually came up with a plan and he came back to me and said, do you think this would go? Will this fly, so to speak? And, uh, and he obviously went and talked to a few other groups as well, but literally that was what we did. So that was one facet. Then there was the dealer problem. And I firmly believe, and the RTIs that we have seen suggest that the dealer problem was a backlash from the Flickham campaign that we ran in the previous, the whole shooting industry ran in the previous um, uh, state election. And I think Anastasia was having political payback because she was blaming the health, chief health officer the Chief Health Officer was blaming National Cabinet. We knew nothing was happening at National Cabinet and the Health Department were going, why are we shutting gun shops? So the RTIs soon showed that it was politically motivated, probably coming from the Premier and the Chief Health Officer was, uh, let's just say, covering for it. She did get a nice job as a post-Chief Health Officer role, I noticed. I'm not sure whether that's at all related, you know, jobs for the boys or girls or something. But anyway, just works, yeah, she, who would say She now works just up the road from me. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or her workplace is just up the road so, from me. So the, the gun shop closure thing was just crazy because, and weapons licensing, I mean, you know, people often say, oh, weapons licensing, mumble, grumble, complain. They got behind us and, and it was more the dealers association. Mm. So Jan Lindsley, one of the founders of Shooters Union, is also the secretary of the dealers association. So we sort of worked together it was really more the Dealers Association's deal, but Shooters Union whipped up the storm amongst the shooting public because there's only a small you know, 10 or 20 dealers in Queensland. Yep. So we whipped up the, the public furor um, to, to you know, lend some weight to what the dealers were trying to do. But weapons licensing actually took the position that, hang on, dealers do half our work for us. Yes. You know, someone finds granddad's collection in the back of a shed somewhere, they take it that the police do not want you walking into a gun shop with a fistful of rifles, shotguns or whatever. The dealers do that. And weapons licensing is going, no, 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 no. We don't want the dealers shut down. So even through the police commissioner, weapons licensing were lobbying to stop that. So yes, we were involved. It was a fairly wild time. Fortunately, a few of us had a bit more time on our hands to... Uh, devote to lobbying the government because we were all imprisoned at home. But, but yes, so Shooters Union does all sorts of things. Um, and a lot of people wouldn't realise this. We were the ones behind the like-for-like PTA-less exchange. So if you've oh, got okay. a 223 volume, you, uh, uh, and you want a new I one. I know that rule very well. Yeah, I have used that rule. you utilised that? Uh, on on uh, 12... Uh, my... Um, I have a certain affection for 12 gauge sh oh, shotguns, <laughs> but 12 gauge, but other shotguns. And yeah. yes, I've used it to uh, 
slowly improve the, uh, the quality of your collection. <laughs> more the, the dollar value of my shotguns, yeah. yes, by, so by upgrading and, and so on. Back before my time on the board, uh, Graham and Jan and possibly others, uh, with the government of the day, which surprisingly um, was, this was in the Cameron Newman era, um, was a little bit more amenable to sensible and pragmatic things. Um, they actually got that through, and I don't think many people would realise. In fact, we don't talk about it. We don't, you know, we, we don't go out fluffing our feathers up. Probably anywhere near enough. So maybe a little bit of feather fluffing now is what we should be doing. But that was <laughs> that was that was something that the average shooter out there benefits from, but they wouldn't know it was shooting. Yeah, and it, and for those who don't understand that, um, if you have a, for instance, a 12 gauge shotgun. Uh, you know, under over or side by side, and you would like to get a better one. So, for instance, you've got a Stoga and you want a Bellini or something like that. You can actually do a like for like um, trade. So, without having to do a PTA, you can no permit to acquire. You can you can upgrade. I think like, it's called a Form Ten or something. Yeah, you it's take it your old shotgun in, and basically you upgrade it for a new shotgun. Yeah, yeah, and and I use that myself. 308 bolt action rifle yeah. for another 308. Yeah. yeah. There's no problem. That's it. So, uh, so that's that's a sort of a, a fairly short little so, example um, of what we do. We should it. ask you, uh, and I say we, that's a real we because I'm the only one in the room. Um, uh, pistol, other than pistol shooting, uh, any hunting or other target shooting for yourself? For me? Okay, so my shooting career, if you want to call it that, my shooting life started back as a kid mm -hmm. um, probably learning to shoot air pistols might not have been an approved range but anyway we wouldn't talk about that not that that would matter and you know then through scouts and school like back in those days yeah, we're scouts, talking yeah. in, you know the 70s 80s um, you know firearm ownership was a fairly normal thing there was a scout badge yeah I know, I remember. Um, and we had a range at school, mm -hmm. cadets we, we used to shoot. And you know, later on in life, uni, business, kids, what have you. And then as I became probably more financially comfortable um, and less activity with kids at school, Don't worry about it. The, um, the opportunity came for me to sort of get back into it again. And, my wife always wanted to shoot plays, yep. and uh, and I didn't realise that. But um, the the long and short of it was that uh, she was most in favour of me. I wanted to get involved in handgun shooting. I, yep. I, I liked the, the concept of that. And one of my best mates from school, he'd been a pistol shooter since he was a kid, and his mum and dad. So anyway, we got involved, and uh, you know, Lisa acquired not inherited, inherited early or acquired her father's rifle collection. And, you know, Lisa and I got into handgun shooting and we've been shooting in the States um, quite a lot. And we've gone to the, the guy that created IPSC, Colonel Jeff Cooper. Yes, I used to, uh, well, I, I was a scout um, rifle. Okay, so you know Jeff Cooper's legacy. Um, he started a place called Gunsight mm -hmm. Academy and Gunsight Academy is one of the world's leading force on force and handgun yep. rifle training, you know, I mean, they send Navy SEALs and SWAT team trainers, and so we've been there and done a lot of training. Oh, wow. I tell you what, it's a lot of hard work, and, you know, it's, it's a serious business, but um, 
thoroughly enjoy it. Um, what that does is it actually improves your IPSC shooting because concealment, cover, move and shoot, you know, all those things that you want to do in IPSC is what tactical um, yep. training is about. So anyway, we've done a fair bit of that and, uh, and then Lisa wanted to do pay-target shooting. So out we went and spent a truckload of money on some nice Berettas because any shotgun will shoot, but you might as well have nice furniture. That's right. So, um, you know, off the back of that for Christmas one year, you know, some people buy their wives a, I don't know, a cookbook or a... I buy my wife power tools. Power tools. And yeah. she likes power tools. I built her a trap. Like oh, a full-on well. trap house, <laughs> concrete floor, automated trap, didn't muck around. So we put, built that you, up. Put, you, put, you put a beer fridge in it so you can sit in there? No, 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 no drinking in beer. At the, oh, you mean beer to launch? Just no, no, you, you can have the drink the beer while you're on the, you know, loading the trap. We, sa we saved the beers for after the shooting, but, um, yeah, so we did this up at the family farm. We've got, you know, a couple of acres down the front corner that we weren't yep. able to crop, and uh, it's a nice little level area with a contour bank and... Yeah, so, so yes, we are across just about everything in shooting. Wow. Um, I do a little bit of hunting, don't get to do enough. And I think that's partly because just busy doing everything else. Yeah. But I do like a little bit of Bambi in the freezer. Yep. And, um, and, and like I say, Lisa just likes, she likes having a shoot of the rifles. And uh, you know, she's got a couple of nice rifles herself. But um, yeah, from a hunting perspective, that's me. I haven't done enough of it in the last couple of years. The last, uh, oh, well, COVID really put the, just prior to COVID put a it stop did. to hunting. Yeah, it, did. it certainly uh, made things very difficult. I always think that um, when it comes to hunting and shooting, because I talk to a lot of people, uh, you always make time for what you're really into. Because I, I will happily forego going to the range if it means I can go out to hunt for a day. Yeah, well. <laughs> you know, and vice versa. For me, if I've got to go to the range, and for Cat H participation, I have to go to the range. Um, and as much as I love, you know, the handgun shooting, hunting has, it takes like, so my last hunting trip was a whole heap of planning. It was well, well mm -hmm. away from civilization. It was getting the right gear, packing the plane, Flight planning because fuel in and out, and then getting fuel again to get back to Brisbane. Um, you know, there was effort there, and then obviously there was the effort of getting there. And, and we had a great week. Don't get me wrong. And I brought back one, two, three. I think I might have put three deer into a whopping great big esky and some cooler boxes, shoved them in the back of the plane, and fired at home. Um, but it's pretty cool when you can go from I don't know. 1,800, 1,900 kilometres from Brisbane but be back home in five hours and... Well, certainly... Well, probably six hours yeah, in the fridge. That's not bad. Not <laughs> so, bad. Um, yeah, so I, I obviously cut them down on site and uh, yep. just brought the bulk, bulk back. But, mm -hmm. um, so that was my last hunting trip and uh, yeah, probably just need to do some more. I need to go... I need to find more friends. That's it. Uh, well, or more, more, more deer. More deer. Deer friends? <laughs> I've got a very good friend who allows me to hunt deer on his pro property, and it's 90, 90 minutes from home. So, it's he's, a, he's my new next best friend. He's he, uh, he, that, he is be, a very good friend, and I and I um and <laughs> I, I do I so I, I am now able to hunt on a Friday. 
That's cool. I'm now the guy, okay, running my own business, clear the decks, disappear on that a Friday. Cool. Drop the kids off at school on Friday morning, go for a hunt, come back. Mm. So tell me, I'm going to interview you. Oh, you're cool. Shooting with your kids. Do you go hunting with your kids? I do. I'm just looking at our battery power, so we better watch it. It might cut out. But yes, um, uh, if you if you followed my website, which is de devastating that you don't, or read my articles, which is well, devastating that you don't, um, you will know I'll that have for, to discover them. you will know for the last four years now I've been uh, introducing my eldest son to hunting. So he uh, he doesn't shoot yet. He's nine years old, and the reason he doesn't shoot is I don't believe he has the hand-eye coordination yet. It'll come in time. It will, look, it's not that it won't come, it's just they're not yet. But he's learning. But he, uh, he's a sponge. So uh, he went on his first public land hunt uh, when he was six. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the highlight of his first public land hunt was watching the, a goanna eat the guts of a pig that we shot. He watched that for literally an hour and a half. He thought it was the most fascinating thing he ever saw. He's been deer hunting with me a number of times. We actually have a yearly father and son hunt. Um, COVID put a kibosh on that, but we've had just come back from our last one. We had one this year where we hunted uh, state uh, public land again for the first time on that father-son hunt. We were, before that, we were hunting um, uh, private land. And he uh, helped uh, with the processing of both animals. Yeah, and see, that's a good skill to learn. And I learned that in the skills. So in that he's, he was standing there holding yeah. the leg, watching asking questions, things like that. So he loves camo too much, actually. <laughs> Can't get him out of it. Uh, so, yeah, he, he is very much... Hunting is, a, is something that he has a real passion for. His younger brother is not so much there. Uh, he'd rather fish. Right. But right. for me, the way, that, the way that they Different got there, um, and, and I'll say this to people with kids, the introduction was fishing. So by... And we're back. What happened was the battery died. So, uh, so let me ask you another question. Okay, I'm just making sure that we're recording. Yeah. So to finish up, uh, so for us, the introduction to the processing of something into food started with fishing. Yeah. So let me ask you another question. Sure. You know, everyone talks about going fishing and never catching, and we spoke earlier off camera about people they go hunting but don't take any meat home or a trophy home. Mm -hmm. um, one of the, and this is something I learned through a friend of mine in America, Tom Gresham, was why we hunt is not necessarily about meat in the freezer and a, and a trophy on the wall. It's the more, it's the building memories, and it might be with your kids or you and your father, you and your grandfather kind of relationship. You're, you're, you're building memories, but you're also doing it in a, in an environment where you can enjoy nature for what nature is. I mean, some people joke about it as just hiking and carrying around a rifle. Yeah. Um, it's really more about the, let's call it the spiritual sort of out in a peaceful environment where you can just sit, if you want to sit and watch the creek bubbling away for half an hour because you're waiting for a deer to wander past or a pig to come and get it. You know, you've got time to sit and reflect on life or sit there and chat with your son about or your daughter mm -hmm. uh, about whatever in life. I actually think sometimes that's the overlooked but probably the more important 
uh, aspect of hunting? What's well, look, what's what thinking? everything you said there is, I think that the big part of all of that is that's reflective of the individual. So what you draw, what you draw from it, and what you give to it is uh, is very much an individual um, decision making process. Uh, we spoke to a, one of our earlier podcasts. Um, it's by someone by the name of Andrew Day, who's a psychologist. Um, he said that, you know, one of his uh, uh, points was that how good hunting is for your well-being and the immediate throw is, oh, you don't want someone with an issue with well-being to be hunting with firearms. You know, you don't want them around firearms. And the that's the wrong argument the, because what he's not... He's not saying that someone with... Uh, mental health issues should participate in firearms. Obviously not. They shouldn't be driving cars at all. There's lots of things. But what it is, is the actual act of hunting is actually an indicator of good mental health. Mm. So, and that whole example where you gave about planning, if you were to take out hunting and said, I did all these things to achieve a goal... From a point of view of, and this is what the message was, from a point of view of mental health, is that's a sign of good mental health. You set tasks, yeah. the tasks were hard, you worked towards them, you did preparation, you thought about what's going to work, what didn't work, you did all these things, you went out and did it and then achieved it. Mm. So when we look at hunting, if we think about it from that point of view, so if we think about hunting as dead on the ground... Yeah, meat in the freezer... Then, if you don't get that, well, then you maybe failed. you failed. But yeah. if you see hunting is, I'm going to drive or travel to this new location that I don't really know a lot about, and I'm going to do all this preparation and spend money and save money and do all these things, and then achieve that. Then you've hit 99% of your targets, no, and that's why I think so many people, when they go hunting or fishing, kind of go, I didn't catch anything. But boy, I feel good yeah, because everything day. else is a sum total of that mm. I feel great rather than singular or binary. And I suppose that's the difference between, you know, if you were culling or shooting, you're, you know, you're, you're, your job. object is to reduce numbers. Mm. So obviously the less numbers you reduce, the less in terms of measurement and performance is yeah. lower. But if your activity is to do all of these things, and you do nearly all of those things, then we would not say that that was a bad thing at all. If we, and again, if we replace that, like I was, you know, I did a, I, I did my university, and I got ninety nine out of hundred. You go, well, you didn't achieve it. No, you, you did ninety nine percent. That's right. You got ninety nine percent. What happened to that last one? That's right. That's right. So. Um, yeah. No, I, I look at you know the old saying of you know a bad day fishing is still better than a good day at work, and you could have a really bad day fishing, and that might be. Not so good, but I think the, 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 the grounding in that comment is quite simply you've been out, probably it's a nice day, nice day on the river, nice day on the bay, you've had a great time, if you brought fish home that was a bonus. And I always look at hunting as meat in the freezer is the cream on the cake. Yeah. The cake was, I had a good weekend away with a couple of friends, um, sitting around the campfire telling stories, some of might have even been true. But having camaraderie and fellowship in a good, healthy environment with 
good people. And I usually find anyone, you know, firearm owners and hunters generally are good people. Mm. Might all come from different walks of life, but, you know, it's, it's good to sit down and share stories. So I think hunting, it, it, it's probably... It's probably good for people's mental health, actually. I, 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 there, there is actually a number of studies that generally indicate that those who do it uh, higher up on those scales of, of well-being and so on. And the other important component to that is, is again, it is great to bring meat home and, you know, um, and uh, that's, a, that's a, a goal or an aim of that process. But we're not saying that is the whole process. So we can experience that. But I think what also hunting does, and, I, and this is where um, I think we, uh, we might not have the message right, but we know the message, is that if I go to a national park and follow a, a, a predefined trail and follow, see some signs on a tree about the, you know, the type of tree or, or I see bird life or I see a, you know, a, a kangaroo or something like that, I'm observing and that might be a really enjoyable day or afternoon. If I'm hunting, I'm not observing. I'm actually part of the process. Mm. You're in it. You're a predator. And there's a great saying in hunting is that be a good predator. Yep. And what that means more than anything is me be a good participant in this ecosystem because you're in it. You're not observing this ecosystem. And, of course, and that's where I have real problems with, with lockouts and things like that because... One, from a maintenance point of view, it's disastrous. But two, it actually stops me from being a participant. I become, it's like, it's a glass cage. Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to live in a glass cage and I don't want to look through a glass cage. I want to be a participant. And hunting allows me to be a participant and fishing allows you to be a participant. And we were talking about kids before. Um, and I'm not meaning to take over the interview. But no, no, <laughs> but it's great. But, but this is a good uh, Look, guys, this is going to be 15. We're going to probably put this one towards the end. <laughs> it's a beauty. Yeah, this will be like 400 minutes. But the, we're talking about kids before, and you know you talked about your kids, and usually most kids get exposed to fishing because as a three, four, five-year-old, that's an easier thing than starting a rifle or mm. a, a, a pack and tent and what have you. All of these processes are teaching children about respect and responsibility, even though they don't know it, and you mightn't be deliberately setting out to do it, but when you're responsible for your own safety, for your own water, for your own food, for, you know... Engaging with adults. Go and scout around and pick up some sticks so I can make a fire. That's right. Well, if you don't go and pick up the sticks... That's right. ...you're not having a fire. Engaging with adults, engaging with other people that are outside their age group, all of these kind of things. And even with firearms, I mean, you know, education of children... You know, we had the anti-gun brigade that go berserk about the idea of kids handling a firearm. No, that's when you're the best sponge. Mm. Let's teach them responsible yeah. firearm safety from a young age because at some point in their life they might otherwise come across a firearm, legitimately or otherwise. It's better they're trained safely. And they won't forget that. No. That is stuff they will not forget. And we don't do it in scouts and cadets and Anymore, things no. like we used to. So... I think the whole process is, it actually helps build more responsible and respectful kids. And I'll ask you another question. Have you ever been to a range where there's kids? Uh, unfortunately, no, because they don't usually allow them. Right. I, have been, I, have. I have been to only 
Look, I've been going for rangers now for some time and I can only think of a handful of occasions where I've seen kids that's at rangers. And that's a shame. It is. In, in pistol shooting world, uh, there's quite often a lot of juniors. Um, but we were talking before about gun sight. You know, families take their kids along. The kids learn, like, defensive use of firearms. Um, these children have... And, and I'm not just talking about there. I'm talking about here, you know, the, the pistol shooters and what have you. And, and the play target shooting clubs I've been to where there's kids, juniors, shooting. Apart from their firearm safety being respectful, their manners towards everybody else, the way they conduct themselves, you go, hey, there is hope for society yet. Look, I, 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 I haven't seen it, so I can't comment on it, but it's a big part of... What so when we go hunting with my son, it's not just me and my son. There's other adults there, um, and over the years now, say for this is the first year he carried his own pack um, and things like that. And we noticed like you know um, it was a three-day hunt, and it was in tough conditions. It was cold. It was often wet. It was it was tough, um, but it was you know that didn't in fact. That made that it better, kind of made it better. Think, yeah. But for him, you know, there's a, in, in the video you'll see it, in the last day, I turned around and went, okay. That was worth doing. He's tapped out. We've, yep. we've hit that, we've hit him, and so we went back and we had a pretty quiet last day. But for two days, as a nine-year-old, he tried his very best. And uh, so, yeah, I've yeah. got no... That I've, sense I, of accomplishment, <laughs> carrying your own pack, yeah. doing your own thing, being responsible for your own everything... Um, I, I think there's a lot of children uh, that could do with that kind of um, upbringing that have missed out on it, and I think it shows. So, um, to all of your listeners, you know, get them involved. I yeah, I, and that people know that that's a big part of what I am about. Is about actually, you know, as I said, I want the day where I can throw them the car keys and they pack the truck and they drive me and they cook the camp, and they set up the tent, and, <laughs> and I, I watch, and they carry it, and they're big strapping young lads who carry the deer out, and I just relax. So you that's, just sharpen the knife. <laughs> do this, you know, do that, do that, bring down a beer, that kind of stuff. But that's, you know, that, that's the flippant ultimate goal, but what it is is about creating, you know, competent people. Com competent people. Yep, I agree. Okay. Well, this has been awesome. It has been. Who would have thought it would come this way? You just never know. No. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. I think we might do a more extended version um, again sometime. Yeah, I believe you're going to do one with Graham Park. Yeah, we are. So, um, Graham's always, he's got lots and lots and lots of interesting things to talk about from not just here but overseas as well. So uh, you'll enjoy that and hopefully the, the listeners will enjoy that. And I've got to put a plug in, 35 bucks a year and you get a justifiable reason here in Queensland and in a couple of other states. But not only that, $20 million worth of public liability insurance, so long as you're lawfully shooting um, either on private property or on a range. So, um, you know, want to support the people that are doing some advocacy and what have you, 35 bucks a year is pretty, ch it's cheap for the insurance value alone. So uh, we'd, we'd really appreciate it if, uh, if your viewers would um, participate in the Shooters Union family. Okay, no problem. As, and in regards to that, I'm a member of many, many families. So um, uh, I look at, to me, the way I look at organisations within the hunting and shooting fraternity is they all serve a particular purpose. 
Correct. And to me, shooters union serves a particular purpose, and I'll uh, readily admit that. For me, it's about their uh, the their structure of their pistol club. That's why I'm a member. Yeah. Well, okay. Thank you very much. That's us, guys. And uh, I'm going to wrap up for today, and we'll be back tomorrow with um, Joey from DPI. See you soon.